Listener Production. Shares. Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money. I'm Scott Phillips. He's Andrew Page. Well, I'm Scott Phillips, but I'm not Scott Phillips here. I'm Scott Phillips there because I'm away. He's here, but he's not here because he, we also pre-recorded this episode. This is, of course, Motley Fool Money, and we have a very special episode for you where, for better or worse, you get to look inside my brain and inside his brain. He, of course, is Andrew Page. G'day, mate. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm psyched for this episode. Do you have the can opener ready? Are we ready to un- un- open our brains and uh, give our listeners an unvarnished look inside what's going on? Uh, I'm all ready to go. Let's, let's cut it open and see if we can find anything there. Now, before we do, this straw man thing. What is it again? <laughs> Private Online Investing Club. You can get it at strawman.com. Mate, we are going to spend this episode, because I, I am away, uh, and you've generously spent some time pre-recording, which I appreciate. Thank you. Um, we are going to undo the anatomy of a stock recommendation or a stock purchase, a company we like. We're going to kind of break, the, break it down uh, try and share with our listeners the rationale behind what we're doing. And also, we're going to talk, uh, basically give each other the opportunity to ask probing questions. We're not going to try and uh, make each other look silly or do any of that sort, but we're going to just sort of ask the questions that we'd want to ask. If someone was pitching the stock to us and say, hey, what do you reckon? Now, let me start at the very, very beginning by saying these are not formal recommendations to our listeners. Um, it is the one I'm going to talk about. is a company I have recommended and I do like. Um, but one thing I will say very clearly is I have a portfolio of I know, 20 odd, 25 odd companies, something like that. Uh, a Motley Fool Share Advisor has more than 100 recommendations. Uh, I think there's probably 80 odd live recommendations right now. So, as always, this is not the single best idea. This is not the one stock you should go and buy. This is not the one stock going up next week, next month, next year. For all we know, both these companies could crash and burn. Uh, what we are going to try and do, though, is use some worked examples, basically, pick companies we like and talk you through the way we think about them when it comes to putting our money to work, the sort of investing that we do, the sort of approaches that we take. I'm going to say we, individually, not together. I haven't vetted Andrew's. He hasn't vetted mine. Uh, we know what each other's going to talk about, but we haven't done actually any prep in terms of the, being the bear case or the, the opposite side of the ledger. Uh, we're going to try and basically have a conversation. Hey, here's the company I like. Hey, here's why I like it. And then a bit of back and forth on what about, what about, what about. So that's the idea over the next hour or so. We can take an hour for these podcasts. And we hope in doing so, we'll give you a sense, a bit of a look inside the thought process, the opportunity to ask some questions uh, of each other. And then, by the way, at the end of this episode, if you have some questions about the companies, we might come back to this one uh, when we uh, when we have a bit more time, maybe maybe when I'm back on deck. Um, if you have questions that come from the analysis we talked about, what about if you want to ask the whatabouts or uh, throw another question, add another comment or just sort of simply ask a bit more detail about what we have considered or haven't considered, then we'd love that sort of feedback as well. So we'll give the socials at the end. Uh, you can share with us some thoughts as I said, ask some questions. Um, but this is basically a chance for you. Lots of people say to us, hey guys, how do I pick a stock or where do I start or what do I look at or what's important? This is rather than just doing a, a theory episode, this is a very practical episode. This is a bit of a why we like the company, why we're buying the shares. So, mate, uh, I'm going to invite you to go first because I did the intro, mm-hmm. so I get to throw you under the under the bus first. Um, mm-hmm. We're gonna we're gonna use a format that is kind of as, at least as a starting point, uh, a format that is not particularly difficult or, or unusual. We're gonna start with what the company does. We'll try and describe that in a bit of detail. We'll then talk about why we like it. So, separating those things into simply, like, tell me about the business, and then tell me why you think the business is a, is an interesting investment. 
we will talk about the risks of an investment in the company because we never ever want to be seen to well not not be seen to as in we're worried about reputations we never want to put anything across as in this is a can't lose must win here's on the, here's all the good sides um we're not gonna try and be balanced by the way because balance is not what you invest for you don't invest on a 50 50 basis you invest in something you think has a better than average chance of being successful but we will talk about the risks of an investment then we'll try and wrap it up before we ask each other some questions so mate in that vein can mm. you tell me which company you're going to speak about and what it does please yeah, I'm going to talk about a company called Ava Risk Group. It's a very much a small cap, micro cap company. Okay. Uh, Ava Risk so Group. I've never heard of it, mate. So this is going to be good. Yeah, for me. yeah. I, you know, I like to, I like to be a little esoteric. Um, <laughs> you do. Uh, and again, I just I, let me just hammer a few points you made there because I just I really don't want the emails in a few months' time when this thing's dropped fifty percent because it's probably going to. It does. It's already mm-hmm. down from when mm-hmm. I started buying it. <laughs> it, it. This end of the market is just very volatile. Yeah, right. And I just want to. This is more about we we. We started this by sort of saying, oh, we always talk about the theory, but it's always, well, actually put it into practice. So let's just talk about some stocks that we think are interesting. Yep. Uh, you can borrow an idea. You can't borrow the conviction. All care, no responsibility, right? Um, in <laughs> exactly. Fact, I, please don't touch it. because Use, use it as a work model of how we agree. think. Don't just, don't yeah. just buy the shares because we're mentioning them. Yep. And I also, I also, um, uh, you know, what I really want here is for people to say, well, what you completely fundamentally mm. misunderstand is this, yeah. and you're making a huge mistake. That is far more valuable than <laughs> for me personally. <laughs> yep. So yep, like let's it. go with that format. I like it. So that's what they do. The ticker is AVA, uh, and they're basically a risk management technology company. So they operate in about 70 different countries, wow. around 3,500 sites. Uh, and there's two parts to the business. One is what they call future fiber technologies. And they use fiber optic cable. They can run that along a fence or they bury it under the ground or they can mm. put it in a pipeline. They can even put it on a conveyor belt. Mm. And they can use these perturbations in the signal that goes down that fiber optic cable to detect if there has been a breach. And so they're very easy to install. They're very long lasting. They're very, very hardy. So they can work in the Middle East. They can work work in the northern frozen tundra, you know, mm. uh, and they're, 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 the real value prop here is there's not many false uh, alarms, which can be a real pain okay. for anyone who's operating a site. So Are we talking about physical, got- physical or electronic? You said you they have fiber optic. What are they measuring for? What are they, what are they reporting on? So they've got. So you, you might have a uh, defense base, right? right. So you've got a fence around it, and you just lay some fiber uh, optic mm. cable around that, mm. and then the, it gets into the realm where beyond me, uh, <laughs> you, know, you have to be quite good at physics. All right. But sending a you know fiber optic cable just sends beams of light down there. Yeah. But that but that can be perturbed by uh, all kinds of things, vibration. Oh right. Um, so, so literally, yeah. someone digging it up, walking over it, all that kind of stuff. It's it's just physical. Physical. Over it. Right. Yep. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Okay, there's cool. been a someone's cutting the fence or someone's ah, doing something. Okay. Really, really, really cool. That's kind really of stuff. clever. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Sounds nice. great, right? Yep. Um, so that it's it's one of these things like oh, that's a really cool technology. Mm-hmm. It turns out that a lot of things already have fiber cable through it, it's like actual <laughs> data cables, undersea cables. Uh-huh. You, know? so you, you can actually just put a box at either end of it. I'm oversimplifying. Oh, that's cool. Okay. You know what I mean? And and so, for example, the latest use of it, they use it on conveyor belts in mine sites. By the way, if your conveyor belt goes down, you know, that's going to cost you $100,000 per oh, hour. And all yeah. of the, you know, it's, 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 just, it's a massive bottleneck. So yeah. you want to know if, if, if a, a bearing is about to break, it's squeaking, it's getting too hot mm-hmm. or any of these kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. But they've already got these cables running up and down them for other reasons, for fire mm-hmm. detection. Mm-hmm. So you can actually co-opt existing cable to to detect, as I say, breakdown um, problems, anything like that. 
So they've been doing this for, for quite a while mm. um, and the technology is proven and they've got some very, very big uh, customers that, that use that. Um, the other side of the business is what's called BQT solutions. They do access control readers. So things like biometric, you know, eye scan, you know, thumb, <laughs> oh, cool. uh, yeah, thumbprints, door it. locks, okay. you know, kind yeah, of yeah. – and, and – um, that's in a lot of sites around the world. So if you're running a high, mm. uh, an important data center, for example, or you've got an army base somewhere mm. or your very uh, important corporate headquarters, things where you need to make sure you know who's got access and who doesn't and mm-hmm. you're controlling all of that kind of stuff. So it's one of these areas that's like a niche kind of uh, area. So why would I look at such a, a tiny company? Um, well, I, the technology is cool. You, when you get to the small end of, of town, there's just – Every company's got a cool story, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's <laughs> yeah, very that's important true. to move part. Yeah, they wouldn't have raised yeah, money yeah. and been where they are without a cool story. Yeah, true. The thing I like about this business is they've got a really good history of value creation for shareholders. The insiders, so the senior management team, the board of directors own substantial shares. In fact, okay. interestingly enough, the chairman just bought $150,000 worth of shares on market very recently. So he owns 13% of, of the company. There's a very strong alignment there. Mm. They used to have a services business that would transport art and gold bullion, bullion <laughs> sort of like a, oh, a, wow. Fed, a FedEx for like super high value kind of stuff. This is very James Bond stuff just quietly. They're, they're, they're transporting art. They're putting fiber optic cables on the ground. They're doing retina scans. Mate, this is, you know. Yeah. I'm expecting yeah, to see yeah. this in the next uh, Jason Bourne movie or something. Yeah, yeah. Well, they flogged that recently. They sold it off. Okay. Uh, was it going badly? No, not at all. In fact, they, they had... The time under which they held that business, they inc- they generated incredible cash flows for their shareholders and they sold it for a fortune. Right, okay. And they did that because they wanted to focus on the other parts of the business, which mm-hmm. are much better margins, mm-hmm. which has much better growth opportunity, much better economics. And so they actually took all the money that they made in the sale, they gave shareholders a, um, a big special dividend and, and a capital return. Capital return is just, um, it's just another way of returning money yep. to shareholders. So they've got a very strong balance sheet They've got two business lines that are growing fast. This is, as I say, let me stress, this is a profitable business with high margin that is um, uh, able to scale very well, that's Mm -hmm. demonstrated and proved its technology, that has good traction in its end markets. One of these small Aussie companies, but when you look at it in terms of of the global niche for this market, actually a pretty substantial player. Um, yeah, so it's it's uh, the hard thing here for me is trying to stay on point and keep it keep it, <laughs> keep it relevant. No, so so I'm so okay. So you, you told us what the business does, which is awesome. Um, a couple of different divisions doing relatively different but similar-ish kind of things. I imagine there's some core competencies there. Uh, the returns have been good thus far. Good story. Chairman, I think you said buying buying shares. That's mm-hmm. all. That all seems pretty impressive. Tell me about what you like about the business moving forward. Obviously, we look at a company, we say, okay, here's its point in time financial results. And we say, here's what's been happening to date. Uh, Here's what's happened in the past. We say, here's what it's doing. At some point, though, we make the assessment that we expect this business to A, hopefully keep on growing. I guess very occasionally someone might buy a a dirt cheap thing that thinks it's going to decline. But let's assume that 99.9% of the companies we want to buy will keep growing. And... We think it's going to keep growing in a way that is going to give us market-beating returns. So maybe, and obviously one is the business, one is the share price. They're related. They're entirely related. But maybe you can give us the the company story. Maybe if you, if you kind of look at this and go, I bought this because I think X is going to happen. What, what's, what's that story in your mind? Well, actually, I want to touch on something you mentioned there. The shares oh, is not the business. So back in late 2020, shares were at like 80 cents mm-hmm. and they're 20 cents now. 
that's uh, a, a lot. part of that is the capital <laughs> they sell, they divested off a business. Okay. So the market's really against this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. By the way, I wasn't buying at eighty cents. So, <laughs> but um, but but uh, it, you know, small cap growth oriented company gone out of favour from the market. It's just it's just what happens. Right? Okay. Yep. Um, so, but if you actually look at the business. And again, you need some. This is where I think part of the opportunity exists because it's complicated. And the reason it's complicated is they just sold a massive part of their business. Right. So it's sort of like you look at what they did and what they're going to do. There's going to be a huge drop in revenue this yeah, year. Yeah. Okay. Not because anything's gone particularly yeah, bad. Yeah. It's just that big part of the business is missing. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it looks bad, right? Year on year. Oh, this business is in decline. I'm going to quickly editorialize, Matt. This is this is a great opportunity. The work you're doing now to really look under this sort of stuff. If you're just screening, using a screen saying, "Show me companies that are growing profit," it's not going to make it. No, if you look at a company up front it. and say shares are down seventy five percent, profits falling or going to fall, man, what a crap business! Of course, I'm going to look at this. Yep. Um, that's that's the sort of thing where the casual or momentum driven investor is going to give it a miss. Most analysts, frankly, professional or amateur, are going to give it a miss. What that means is sometimes you can find these hidden gems, these unloved businesses, these businesses people misunderstand, which can be a great part of value creation for the for the enterprising investor. It's a massive edge and I love this part of the big reason why I like the small cap space is that they're too small for fund managers mm, and mm. professional investors to take because they're trying to invest millions of dollars. They just there's not enough volume yeah, there for them yeah. to do it. So I'm up against uh, other other retail investors. I hate the term retail investors. It's a very derogatory term, but that's that's what the market calls you know, just yep, just yep. people like you and me, right? Because yeah. um, we're we're not we're not as special as the quote unquote professional investors <laughs> who who lose money professionally for their clients. <laughs> they get paid to lose our, money. That's right. We do it ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> but it's great though, right? Because yeah. uh, I feel as though if if you can go to those extra lengths, mm-hmm. you can have a real edge on on other people who are perhaps just looking at the share price chart or year on year revenue growth. Yeah. And it's also it's far more complicated than what I've mentioned because not only has this big divestment <laughs> occurred, but a couple of years ago, a few years ago. They had this wonderful contract they won with the Indian Ministry of Defense hmm. who licensed their perimeter detection technology. And for, they, it was a great deal. It was a great deal. Brought in a bunch of cash, but now that that's run off now, right? Okay. So you can imagine if it was your business and, and India rings up and says, hey, we want to spend a gazillion dollars with you. <laughs> yes, please. They do it. And then they yep. the contract is kind of fulfilled and now yep. it's not yep. there. So it's also very lumpy. So you get okay. these sort of license deals that'll come in every now and whoa, that's why the share price ran up so much, right? Because the market went, whoa, and they extrapolated it yeah, forward, yeah, yeah. you know. And then you've had other things like COVID. There's been a delay in one of their newer products. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, they've also just signed a, a deal with a very big distributor. So they their their perimeter detection, like the locks and the biometric readers, has only really been sold in a s- small number of markets, and that's going to be okay. vastly extended okay. uh, at, at the moment because they're going to they've got all these reseller agreements. Mm-hmm. And then, by the way, they're going their offshore expansion. I think is really smart. They're mm-hmm. saying that we. When when an Australian company goes overseas, we've got to open up a new office. We've got to hire salespeople. We've got to get into. We've got to plug ourselves into the local market, make the connections, make the sales. Where they basically say, well, it's better to go with a partnership arrangement with people right. who are already on the ground, already have the relationship. Mm-hmm. What's the cost of that? Well, it means I have to share my margin, mm-hmm. um, but it also means it's very low risk. Yeah. Right. So I actually I quite like it. It's also what they do with their uh, some of these licensing deals. They just give you the IP. You do it. You do it all. We'll just, and that's hundred percent margin. Yeah, yeah. So, so Rob Broomfield, who we've spoken to at Strawman before, and I've interviewed with uh, Ausbiz, is just real, really pragmatic with all this stuff. Okay. So they're doing well. It's it's very messy. You have to sort of cut through all mm, of this lumpiness, mm, these mm, divestments, mm. these different things, these mm. growth investments that they're making. But at the core of it, you have a business 
which on a normalized basis is going extremely strongly, has very favorable economics and is what's important for me with these ones is, okay, cool tech, good story. <laughs> but so many of these companies are an overnight success that are 15 years in the making. Yeah where it's kind of like they'll come onto the radar for the market at some stage. You go, whoa, where did these guys come from? Yeah, it's like, yeah. well, they've, they've been busy proving out they've done the R&D mm -hmm. and it's, now it's just a matter of selling it. And it, it, the incremental sale today is much easier than it was five years ago because you can say, hey, um, look at all these massive clients we have. Look, mm -hmm. look who we're partnering with. Look at all of our – we've got sites all over the world that we can point to as proof that what we've mm -hmm. got is more than just a promise. So you tend to generate really good sales momentum once you've got that early traction in a market. Once the sales team sort of built out, they know what they're doing, they know the key propositions, you know, they've, they've got the good reference sites. I really love, I really love a company that, that's, that's beyond that initial concept phase and is starting to generate some real sales momentum. Uh, because things can, you've, you've actually, you've spent the money on the R&D, you've mm. spent the money on the team development and the, and the growth investments, and now it's just a matter of prosecuting it. Now, by the way, there's always more money to spend. There's always new mm. products to develop. There's <laughs> always more people. To, so you've got to be careful with that, but it's at a really interesting stage uh, of its life. And so I look at it and I think that here is a business that is not going to need to raise capital. So the share price isn't in a great spot, but who cares? They don't, they don't need us to, to, to stay in business. They've got an existing demonstrated product with some really attractive sales traction. Uh, in fact, two areas. Uh, it's a business where the industry itself has a very strong tailwind. Security concerns are, if anywhere, going, becoming more apparent to people. And it's a very good value prop. It's like, hey, we can, we, can, we can deliver a service to you in a very, very effective way, uh, in a very reliable way. And we can get you up and running really cheaply and effectively. And uh, is that a niche thing? Yeah, you and I aren't going to be setting up these things at home, um, but very big businesses and mine sites and, uh, mine, um, and uh, utilities and all of these kinds mm. of things will absolutely and are using them. Um, so, yeah, that's why I like them. Mate, can I um, ask you a question and let's get onto the risks in a second? And maybe this is one of the risks, I don't know. We'll talk about it. But I am not as much in the small cap space as you are or mid cap space. And part of my inherent cynicism as, a, as an investor is that all of those, that, that, that entire statement that you just made could have been made about a company that subsequently went broke. Yeah. Because they had intentions to do X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. So what I'm curious about, this is probably, might have been a question better left for the end, but given you just mentioned it, it's probably hopefully timely and topical. How do you think yourself about breaking that, the, or trying to handicap the odds of that sort of stuff, right? So mm -hmm. every, every business that goes broke once had a promising story and maybe even had some promising activity that, you know, they, they were going to do this and going to do that. They're going to go international. They were going to have new products. They were going to have th those costs come down. They were going to do whatever. Nothing, everything you said was completely plausible and attractive. But very, very rarely do you go, this company story sucks, I'm investing in it. <laughs> Everyone who invests in any company, the ones that make money and the ones that lose money go, uh, yeah, but, you know. Yeah. Uh, and so how, how do you think through when you see Great that question. story? Because I'm 100% behind you in terms of the thesis, and I'm sure you're absolutely right, by the way. Uh, but this is, more, this is not about Ava necessarily, just more about the general idea. I, I as, a, as an investor person, this is, I'll, I'll be honest about, it's self-serving for me, right? I'm like, yeah, I get it, but every company is going to say something similar and the ability to actually pass that properly and, and assign probabilities is often for me, it's like, I just don't know. So I'm just going to give yeah. a miss. How, how, have you go, how have you gone from interesting story, lots going on, I get it all. Again, great analysis, you've done heaps of good research. So it's, I love that you're talking about it. I'm going to have a look at myself after we finish chatting. Uh, but um, 
How, how do you go from that to, and I think the probability is good? Yeah. So firstly, um, the numbers will tell you a story. And again, it takes a lot of work. I think this is what the market is missing because it is it is so clouded by divestments and all kinds of other things. But you actually, there's one thing to have a good story. There's another thing to see the cash flows back that up. Mm. So in terms of, you know, okay. excluding the Indian Ministry def- of, of Defence, yeah. focusing yeah. purely on the FFT side of the business, there's been incredibly strong sales growth there, right? Yeah. So that doesn't yeah. mean it will continue. Yeah. But there's one thing yeah, a company saying, hey, oh, look at the market. is The market opportunity is huge. <laughs> if we can crack 1% of it, we're away. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I love that story, but where, where this is different and where I tend, I tend mm. to go a bit up past that point, which mm. is when it's actually, you actually can show me Show me the money. You're demonstrating that this is actually being prosecuted and doing well. It could it could stop tomorrow, um, but so far the sales traction has been has been really good. It's mm-hmm. actually it's actually delivering on on that side of things. It's also I love the unit economics of it. Mm. So it's actually um, it's it's uh, where where their costs are at at the moment. They've got a lot of the machinery and infrastructure in place where they each incremental sale offers a pretty high degree of gross margin to the mm-hmm. business as well. So you get this businesses often pass this what you call an inflection point where it's kind of like we've put all these, you know, office costs and staff costs and all that in place. And then the first, mm-hmm. you know, X percent of sales just cover your costs. But, but a, a, bo- a good business is one that can scale very effectively, which means then after that point, you've actually got a good foundation of, of, of fixed costs that even if you double your amount of sales, you're not doubling the costs in the business. Yeah. So what happens is your that net margin. So, so the gross good. margin is the gross yeah. margin. You know, it yeah. costs me X to build this and yep. I can yep. sell yep. it for that. Yep. But your net margin can grow. So you have a business mm-hmm. that might be on a 5 or 10% net margin and as the sales continue to grow, that that actually those those jaws widen out, so the economics mm-hmm. get better and better and better. So you have a business that has nice sales momentum, that's great, mm-hmm. but the profit growth is even better because of because of the mathematics I'm trying to sort of outline there. So I feel as though it's got a bit of it's got a bit of that in place. They are very non discretionary kind of items as well. So you know, um, the Air Force Base is not going to say, oh, you know. Inflation's up a little bit. The economy's a bit tough. We're not going to we're not going to worry about security. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? It's very discreet. They might they might delay purchase decisions and all of that. And there's been a bit of that kind of stuff. Mm. Very non discretionary. Very big strong tailwind in the industry. Mm. And it's just a no- lovely value prop. Hey, there's a million ways to sort of secure your your perimeter. Mm. We can do it in a way which doesn't trigger nearly as much false alarms. Hugely huge cost burden and, and headache for people who are running sites when fo- alarm, it's a bit windy or a flock of birds goes overhead. <laughs> you're sending security teams out for no reason, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and they're very long lived as well because fiber optic cable just lasts forever. That's right? cool. So isn't it? Yeah, you don't you don't yeah. once you've once you've laid that cable, it's it's just there for it's it's a it's a it's a it's a, it's a quick installation and it lasts for a long time and you get the payback period for the client is very very attractive mm. um so I'm, I'm probably going a bit off off script there but i think i think it meets all of those kinds of criteria okay um and let me just stress here as well this is not this is a profitable business they've mm. got mm. sales they've got profit they've got cash so a lot of these early stage small cap growth companies like, oh, we're going to do this. Like, yeah, but a, a lot of them don't even have sales or they're just starting to get sales. And those that do have sales are still burning through cash mm. as they're trying to sort of hit that inflection point and get to scale. It's past that. This is a profitable business. You know, there, there are companies in the top 50 that aren't as profitable as this business. 
So it's small, it's volatile, it's illiquid, it's tightly held, but it's a real business <laughs> that, yeah. that's de- that, that's delivering that's delivering on on its on its promise. Nice. So a combination of reasons to believe the future could be bright and proven execution. Yep. So that's 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 a good start. But okay. it's also if this was ten dollars a share, I wouldn't touch yeah, okay. it with a barge pole, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's about two hundred and forty million odd shares on issue mm. at, at at this point in time with all of the restructures that they've had. <laughs> you know, and and they're so you do the mass, you times that by about twenty mm. cents. As I say, it's a fifty million dollar company mm. that just in its services division, I've got to look this up again now. Expected to be twenty two odd million dollars in in sales. Right, so it's kind of like with any decent margin and any decent momentum, mm. you're mm. able to you're able to buy exposure to this stream of cash flows mm. very, very, very cheaply. And I know that unless there's some massive game changing acquisition that they're going mm. to make, mm. no one's going to be tapping me on the shoulder and like, "Oh, can we have some more money, please?" Because we're we're burning. They're not it's yeah. not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. In fact, they just paid me a massive dividend check mm. because. And and what mm. what incredible discipline? How often do you see a company? Who gets cashed up? Who gives it back to shareholders? More yeah. often than not, exactly. it's a yeah. good excuse yeah. Yeah. to to invest in something else because they mm-hmm. feel as though they're masters of the universe and can do anything. They said, "No, we don't need it. Yeah. We've got more than enough capital to do this. We're focusing on the far sexier, more exciting part of our business. Um, you have this cash back." So they've actually paid me a bunch of cash <laughs> and a bunch of franking credits and the rest of it. Yeah. And now the chairman, who owns the business as well as anyone has just gone on to market and spent $150,000 of his own cash. Mm. Now, he could be wrong, but the old saying is, you know, insiders sell for many reasons. They buy for only one. Yeah. And um, Can I say two, though? What's that? Can I say two reasons? Yes. You've got to be a little bit careful. The, the, this is not the case in Avery's case, I'm sure, but there's the occasional kind of, oh, the investors, all those directors have bought $5,000 worth of shares each. Yeah, it's one of those window dressing kind of like, let's just make it look like we're supporting the company. So I, I only say that, not in your case, um, just to, just to, um, yeah. If, if, if he had bought $15,000 worth, I'd be, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. He's got 150000 Look, He's already got millions. Yeah, actually, I, so I, so yeah, maybe percentage-wise it's small. Yeah, it was more just the general point I wanted to make rather than about over at all. Oh, yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, 150 grand. So, no, even if you have a lot of money, 150 grand is still 150 grand, right? You could buy a very nice car with that. So you, you, you're not going to, you're not going to yeah. put it in for the hell of it. Uh, nor, nor is he going to get the money out soon either, by the way. There's no point trying to... Some people, you know, put, oh, they're pumping the share price. Like, they're not selling. What, what's the point of pumping the share price? <laughs> As you know, if you don't need capital, yeah, it's like, yeah. you know, it's a bit of ego there, sure. That's also a reason people do stuff like that. But that's nice, mate. So let me let me ask you, we'll get into the risks in one second. How, how are we going for time? Yeah, pretty good. Uh, we'll, go, we'll get into risk in one second. One question I have for you is, you talk about the valuation about the business. And I'm curious in Ava's case, to the extent you can do this, how much of the, how much of the business case is... <laughs> This is, this is an okay business that's just too cheap. How much is this is a great business that's just cheap enough? How, how would you kind of put the, 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 the quality and price thing together? We know value is quality and price combined. That's the, the, the idea. Um, you said you wouldn't buy it for $10, obviously. No one buys shares at any price. And I know you're using an extreme example, mm-hmm. but what's the, what, maybe, maybe style-wise for you, and just, but this company in particular, what, what, what's the motivation here? Is it, is it a great business that, wow, I get it at a good price? Or is it like a, oh my God, this thing's priced for nothing. This is just bargain basement territory. I'm picking up, you know, uh, picking up bargains no matter what they do. How much is, mm. where's that sit for you with Ava out of interest? Yeah, it's a combination of the two. I'm not going to say it's the best business on the ASX. Right. Um, not because of anything that they're doing wrong. There's just some, some 
companies operate in more competitively advantaged mm-hmm. situations and are more further along the the maturity profile and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. But it's it, it's it's a viable business <laughs> and it's a very decent one, right? Yeah. We've yeah. De- de- demonstrated growth and also demonstrated friendliness mm-hmm. to shareholders, which mm-hmm. is important, which is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, but also it's just, I, I feel as though it's really cheap. So it's only cheap mm-hmm. because of my assumptions and my assumptions mm-hmm. could be totally wrong. But I feel as though, okay, what do we just get 17 odd percent growth on a normalized basis for the uh, the sales orders that have come through on the third quarter? That's, that's very strong sales momentum. Mm-hmm. And they've got very high gross margins. And having spoken to the CEO, he said, well, our cost base is more or less set. We might spend a little bit more here, but it's, 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 it's pretty much where we need it to be. So I can basically say, well, this is what I am saying. So I feel <laughs> as though they should be able, and this is where it's thumb suck and, yeah. and this is where people yep. will disagree. Yep. I'll say, listen, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to think over the next four to five years, they'll continue to grow their top line at 10 or 15%. Mm-hmm. And I dare say they'll maintain their gross margin. Uh, I think that their costs will probably be somewhere around that. And I think in the year 2026, their earnings will be somewhere in this ballpark. Right? Nice, so nice. People go, oh, yeah, but you're wrong. It's cool. You, you come up with a different one yeah, that, that suits yeah. you. But I feel as though that's all reasonable based on history, based on what I know of the business, based on where they're positioned and the rest of it. Nice, and then I just nice. go, well, okay, well, <laughs> how will the market value that? Well, here's a business that's grown just as the way I've, I've, I've outlined. And it's probably not much of a stretch to think that the, the PE will be somewhere around 18 mm, or something at that mm, point in time. Mm, mm. 20, 20, oh, you pick a number, right? Yeah. Company, very attractive unit economics, fast growth. It's probably not a stretch to think actually in 2025 P is actually more than plausible. Yeah. So I know I've got a guess for the earnings. I've got a guess for the multiple, times them together, and that gives me a guess for what the share price will be. Mm. And it gives me something like 40 cents a share. Nice. Now, again, please don't, oh, you said it was going to be. No, 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 no. <laughs> I didn't. I said based on those assumptions, that's a reasonable assumption. Yeah. But if that, if I, and then I go, okay, well, what's the share price? Mm. Well, the share price is 20 cents at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. So if, if, if all of that kind of happens, yeah. I should yeah. double my money in the next five years. And if I, if I don't, we'll get to some of the reasons why I might not. Yeah. Um, well, then I'll lose some money. But I feel as though the downside is much less than the upside. Mm. And in fact, I feel as though if I really wanted to be, I, I, I could probably be a bit more optimistic. I mean, actually, sales could probably very realistically go at 20%. <laughs> a business like that with those yeah. economics generating yeah, yeah. those kinds of margins yeah. could probably trade at a, at a multiple of 30. I mean, yeah. $100 million businesses <laughs> trade at much higher multiples than that all the time. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of blue sky there if things go right. Yeah. And I love that Monash Pabrai saying, which I use all the time, heads I win, mm-hmm. tails I don't, don't lose, lose too much. much. Yep, no, that's great. I love it too. And, and that's, it fits the bill. It fits the bill. I love it. Mate, um... Let's go to the risks. So you've done a lot of detail. Thank you for sharing some of your thoughts about the company and why you like it, and some of the some of the kind of valuation considerations, or the you know why why it makes the cut. What's going to go wrong with yeah. Ava that either makes you sell or simply reconsider the investment thesis? So this is something that all investors should do, right? And um, really take it seriously. Mm. What can go wrong? I mean, it's why my business is called Strawman because I actually I want to put my thinking out there and for people to knock it down. Right? <laughs> and, and, and members have right. There's, there's, there's some members we they don't like it. They don't like it. And and that's that's, that's actually cool. awesome, right? Yeah, like totally. isn't isn't yep. that like yep. the best yep. thing in the world? Absolutely. Um, and so there's, there's one of our high ranking members I really like. Shout out to Noddy seventy four. And he, he'll, he'll make the point of, well, management have sort of promised some good things mm. with the, particularly their Aura IQ product, which I mm. won't go into, but that's more around the, the, um, the conveyor belt product. Yeah. 
It's like, I, you know, they said that sales were going to start here and then that didn't happen and then sales were going to start here. So they're over-promising and they're under-delivering. Yeah, yeah. And that's a, that's a fair cop. It's a totally fair cop. Yeah. Um, the other one is, is that the sales might not eventuate. Okay, they've had some really good sales, but maybe that's where it kind of plateaus around there. Uh, you know, a lot of p- companies might d- delay purchase decisions. COVID was a bit of an impact to them because they couldn't get on site to install of a lot of these kinds yeah, of things yeah, yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? They've just signed a new a distribution agreement with Dorma Carba, a big distributor over in, in, in well, hundreds of geographies. Um, they might not turn out to be the best partners. Perhaps perhaps mm. they, they don't really move the needle too much. And if they do, they, they, take, they take a bigger s- a slice of the margin. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of promise in terms of these license agreements for their IP where they just sell the license and the, everyone else does the construction, the building, the installation, the maintenance and the rest of it. Right, right, right. Um, maybe a better mousetrap comes mm-hmm. along. Mm-hmm. Maybe someone comes out, actually, we've got a way of doing this and we've just, I don't know, drone tech, I don't know. Who You don't know mm-hmm. what you don't know, but yeah, someone yeah, comes yeah. out. The big part of their value prop is we've got yeah. a better mousetrap. There's, yeah. there's lots of ways to secure your perimeter, but ours is better. Mm-hmm. That's a, That's what I like about them, in fact. But who's to say someone doesn't come around tomorrow and say, actually, for a fraction of the cost, I can give you 10 times the accuracy and specificity. Right, right, right. That, that's, a, that's a risk to this, to this business. Yep. Now, you know, again, I would mitigate a lot of those things. A lot, once, once a customer is set up, there's ongoing maintenance and mm. support costs. There's lovely recurring revenue components to all of this kind of stuff. <laughs> you know, once it works, it works. I mean, you're really going to switch out everything. Often when these situations, you need something that's significantly better to justify the cost and the risk of yeah, doing something point. new. Yep. Um, but yeah, I think, I think all of those things are things to watch out for. Mm. So if management was to turn around tomorrow and say, oh, you know, it's fool me once, you know, <laughs> shame on shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Yeah. If it's sort of like the next update is like, oh, I know we said this new product was coming out then, but it's actually now, like, I'm going to start to lose patience with that. Mm-hmm. Um, if if they complete, completely miss the mark on what they've been telling the market <laughs> and what to expect, yeah. that, would be a bit of, that would be a bit of a concern. Mm. Um, or if they just made a stupid big acquisition that didn't make any sense. Yeah, okay. You know, Management started selling shares. There's a whole bunch of things that I'd, I'd be <laughs> yeah, a little bit worried yeah, for. Yeah. But what's this, what's interesting, and this is this is what's this is the silver lining of what's happening out there in the market. It's really scary, and it's super scary in, in small cap land where the, the falls have been much more significant. Mm. Is you've got businesses like this, which you know we can we can be a bit picky and fussy on some of the results. But overall, it's, there's nothing wrong with this business, and yet mm-hmm. for something that I could have I could have paid forty cents for not that long ago, I'm now getting it at half price. Um, Crazy. Huh? I just think the risk reward proposition at this point looks looks pretty attractive. Nice, mate. Thank you. Hey, um, that's about halfway through the episode, mate. Uh, what else would you like to tell our listeners about Ava or what it represents oh, yes. about the way you, you pick stocks? Before we yeah, I'll on. shut. I'll shut up about it. But, but right. I think I think the first thing is it's it's one of many positions, right? Mm, so mm. okay. And and when I go with this kind of um, company, I, I go over lots of these kinds of companies. I actually mm. expect to be wrong, probably even five, six times out of ten. Mm. Um, that's the name. But when they when these kinds of investments go right, they go really right. Mm, mm, and so you know, it, it you have to. You have to. I have to stress that because mm. I know that someone's going to give me grief in six months' time when it doesn't <laughs> work out. <laughs> you do you, right? I don't. I don't yeah. I'm just trying to go through my thinking process. And that's what that's what this is more of useful for, right? It's not actually. I mean, it's about the business. Absolutely, we've chosen businesses we like for a very good reason. But yep. um, we've said many, many, so many times. Peter Lynch, famous U.S. fund manager, will quote him till the day I die, almost certainly. Uh, he, he had spectacular results in the 80s and early 90s, I think, Matt. Was that right? Roughly, maybe just yep. the 80s. In any case, he said, if you're good in this game, you'll be right six times out of 10. 
and and inherent in that statement in that implication is not only are six greater than four so you, you win more than you lose but the winners tend to make more than the losers lose which is what Andrew was just saying about when they go right they go really right so um, you know that, keep that in mind this is these are representative of our portfolios of our scorecards of our thinking about whatever done enough times over time we think they will deliver good results uh, but individual cases and individual circumstances won't necessarily Another Peter Lynch quote is, know mm. what you own and why you own it. I, yeah. love, it. I love it. I love it. So it, does, it doesn't matter. It just, it's so applicable. Mm-hmm. So what I'm really, so getting away from this particular company, I mm. feel as though here was an interesting story where the numbers mm. seem to support that story, where the price seems to be at a disconnect with its potential. Um, that's it in a nutshell. Yeah. So I've started yeah. with something, hey, someone mentions a stock at mm-hmm. the pub or whatever. Oh, that's, that's kind of cool. But then I answered, well, what do they do? Yeah. What explains their results? What needs to go right from now? Is there mm-hmm. any evidence that things are going right for them? Yep. You know, and, and you just keep asking the next question yeah, and summaries. you will get to a point where you feel on balance there's a good opportunity here. Mm. And I did that and shares are down... Forty percent since I took a position. Right? <laughs> but that's Three cool. For all, the market hates us. Yeah, but I'm not. I'm not buying this because I thought, oh, in six months' yeah, time, no, no. I bought this because in the year 2026, <laughs> I feel as though earnings will be materially higher, and the market will be. And, and then, and that's 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 the process, and hopefully that's helped um, illustrate that a little bit. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. I'm going to get on to my idea now. This is going to be a business that many more people are familiar with. I tend to fish in larger ponds than Andrew as a matter of course. And by the way, both doing pretty well. So it's not a case of either or. We can do both. It's where you focus your time and how you find the opportunities. And, and it's, got to be, it's got to align with your preferences and personality. Right. And so I was about to say exactly that, right? I am, I am someone who tends to prefer to pay... Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give myself a wrap by explaining myself in the context of Warren Buffett has this. Um, Buffett talks about buying excellent businesses at good prices rather than, um, rather than good businesses at excellent prices. Uh, that over the long term, the compounding value of that should be in your favor. Mm-hmm. And so I tend to find myself gravitating towards businesses. As you say, mate, it's personality and style and experience and everything else. I yep. tend to find myself gravitating towards larger businesses, generally speaking with strong or stronger growing brands that means something to people. So I, I look at a business and, and part of my, as you say, you know, what's going right, what will continue to go right. For me, a lot of that is business momentum explained by both uh, offensive and defensive characteristics. In other words, mm. reasons why I think they should keep growing, but also reasons that help them avoid being got at. And I guess because of the cynicism I mentioned before, I like to be able to, for the most part, explain my thesis in, in a reasonably first-person experience kind of way. Mm. So people will say to me, oh, so-and-so does such-and-such such in the business-to-business market. And I'm sure that's true, but my inability to actually test that thoroughly personally just means I tend to move towards, and again, not because I'm right, not because I'm different than anybody else. And unfortunately, as I'm, because I'm going second, my comments will, will, will stand in some cases in contrast of yours. They're not meant to be disagreements or just the style I, I follow. Um, I tend to I tend to prefer retail based brands, not retailers. In uh, this one is a, in a retail area, by the way. But retail based brands, companies that I can look at and go, I don't have to love them personally, but I can see their appeal. I can understand their appeal. I can understand why I think they might continue to be attractive. All that kind of stuff that goes with that. Mm-hmm. And so that that tends to, if you look at my my um, my share advisor recommendations, if you look at my personal portfolio, they tend to be consumer facing businesses more often than not. 
um, for those reasons. And again, sometimes I miss out great opportunities like Ava Risk Group that I've never even heard of, let alone evaluated. Because uh, I look at it and go, oh, I don't know. In fact, Andrew mentioned off air. I said, was that an insurer? He said, no. I said, okay. Ava Risk Group sounded like one of those. It sounds like an insurance company name, right? Ava Risk. We're in the business of insuring risk, um, which obviously it's not enti- not at all. Uh, so I don't know that business from Adam, but a lot of my companies are businesses that I, I can understand reasonably well on a, on a first-person basis. And that, that closes off massive opportunities to me, but hopefully it means I can know a little bit more, focus a little bit more, specialize a little bit more in areas, not exclusively, but in areas that I can I can more understand. So you're not installing a retina reader at your front door? <laughs> not just yet. You never know. You never know. <laughs> uh, but if I was, it'd probably get inspired by Google, which I own. So there you go. Uh, unlikely to be an over risk group retina scanner. Although you never know. You never know. When I'm rich and famous, maybe the, the security... Well, if you want, if you want the best, you will be. Let's just <laughs> it I like it. So I'm going to go with Domino's. And I'm going to go with Domino's for a few reasons. One is it's one of our more recent recommendations at ShareAdvisor. Second is the company I own. I mention that only because it's reasonably current. But again, as Andrew said, this is not a single company recommendation. Uh, it's uh, <laughs> down a lot. Uh, it was up $140 a share. It's now to $63 a share, which is not a reason to buy it or not buy it, by the way. Um, don't buy things just because they're down. Don't avoid things just because they're down. But it happens to be cheaper than it used to be, uh, and it's a business I bought at, at over hundred bucks. So I'm I'm meaningfully underwater, not quite half, but not, not miles off. Um, but it's a business that I have a, a high degree of faith and confidence in for the long term, and so it's one that I think is a really interesting example of some of the things you've already talked about, mate. But also some of the things I look for when I invest, and that's why I wanted to just talk about Domino's. So first things first, we all know Domino's in the pizza delivery business, right? That's pretty straightforward. But it operates in Australia and New Zealand. It operates in Japan and it operates in Europe, Netherlands and France. Uh, I think over time we'll probably take out the, um, the, the the franchise in England. But the, my thesis is not based on it at all. It's just, it's just rampant speculation on my on my account. And Domino's is a business that exemplifies to my mind doing a simple thing incredibly well. Uh, pizza making is about the simplest thing you can do. Particularly, frankly, let's call it let's call it value pizza. Let's call them cheap. Let's not call them let's not call them rubbish. Let's call them value. Uh, value value pizzas. Uh, they're not hard to make, right? And and the business is not hard to imagine or to copy. But if you do it really, really, really well, your own success becomes uh, an example. So let, let's let's go back to the history, kind of where you started with Ava, mate. Um, when I was a kid, when you were a kid, Pizza Hut was where it was at. And Domino's was this fi- price fighter brand that occasionally you go to a mate's place and occasionally they feel me on my lucky like, oh, well, I'd rather a Pizza Hut pizza, please. And you go to the Pizza Hut eat-in restaurants and, and Pizza Hut was it. Like it was the brand. For those people who are slightly younger than us, maybe if you're like, you know, 68 and you're younger than us, um, you might you might think back and go, well, it's always been Domino's. That's actually, that's actually kind of the story of the success of the business rather than what it always was. It wasn't like Domino's was born as this dominant pizza delivery business and and just held that position. It literally unseated and frankly sent to the wall a couple of competitors. Um, pizza Hut's last remaining dining restaurant I saw uh, last week, or a couple of weeks ago, now we're recording this in advance, uh, has finally closed in South Australia. There's no more dining Pizza Hut's anymore. Uh, I have fond memories of those as a kid too. The business is very, 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 very simple. They sell a set range, but an evolving range of largely pre-made, or it's not pre-made, but pre, uh, what do you call it? Preset menu options uh, that they then deliver in quick time for a very good price. And that's kind of the story of every fast food restaurant ever, but Domino's are doing it incredibly well. They have made an absolute art form of understanding the economic model that sits behind pizza delivery as a business. So everything from their ability to continue to push the price of pizzas down 
uh, in an inflationary environment. Of course, they'll have to go up with inflation, but the, the price of pizzas are cheaper than they were when I was a kid. And I'm talking, you know, decades ago. You can get a Domino's pizza now for cheaper than it used to cost when I was a kid. Uh, you can, they, they have done a spectacular job of harnessing the economies of scale Andrew talked about before. The, the leverage of a little bit of growth at the top line can be a lot of growth at the bottom line. They have managed to turn their each individual franchise unit into a money-making machine, both for them and for the franchisee, which is not that common these days. We've seen plenty of franchise dramas in the past. And they've they, they got a lot of grief, and probably rightly so in one way. They, they kind of described this at one point, or they were described by analysts or investors as a technology company. And people scoffed and went, ha, 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 Domino's technology company. Yeah, 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 make your pizza, you, you idiots, you know. And, and of course, they're not a technology company. Uh, every company these days is a technology company because you have to be to be in business, right? Whether you're using electronic points of sale, whether you're selling online, whatever it is. But Domino's has has done a spectacular job of harnessing the cost savings of technology in a phenomenal way. More than 80% of their orders now are done through their app or through the website. Remember those the old days when we all used to know the Pizza Hut phone number? In a, in Sydney, it was uh, 9481111. I remember. Still then. And I, I'm old enough to remember when there wasn't even a nine at the front. It was just 4811111 back in the day. Um, so, you know, they've they made, they made an art form of, of using technology to actually speed up both the delivery, the order taking of, of the pizzas. And they've also done a really nice modern job, in my mind, of doing things like utilizing social media really, really effectively. Um, they've also, you know, they had that, remember they had that, I can't remember what the promotion was called now, where you'd build a pizza, a pizza mogul it was called. You'd vote for someone else's pizza. Someone's going to win money for, for doing that. It's just created virality in, in pizzas. The last thing in terms of what they've done uh, that from that perspective um, is they've managed to use, uh, they're, they're very clever at upselling, right? You go and order a pizza and you get offered three pizzas and a garlic bread and a Coke. And then you're offered a dessert. Then you're offered another side. Then what about a cheesy crust pizza? And what about adding another dollar for this thing? And so their ability to upsell without actually looking like they're upselling, at least not, not overtly, not saying, you know, would you like fries with that? But they're doing a very, very good job of upselling, which pushes up the average, average basket size. So if you want to buy a cheap pizza or you're aiming to buy a cheap pizza, you go to Domino's. You want to do it easily and cheaply, freely, whatever, you go to Domino's. Might you upsell on the way through? Probably, in all honesty. And then there's a really nice uh, part of their business, which is the, this is one of the hidden benefits of leverage and of, of economies of scale. They are now because what, what, you know, what drives people to order pizza? Well, firstly, you've got to like the pizza, right? You've got to like the price. But then it's speed. And Domino's do a really, really nice job of getting the pizza to you quickly. The faster you grow, by the way, the more orders you have, the more outlets, the more literally kitchens, not even restaurants, the more kitchens you can open in geographic areas. So we used to have a, a pizza, a Domino's near us. Then they'll put a second one five minutes to the other side of us. And what does that do? Well, it means that you are more likely to eat your pizza more quickly because each restaurant now has a smaller delivery area, but they're both busy enough that they're making money from both lots. So this kind of self-reinforcing cycle of more volume means more stores, more stores means more volume because it's free, it's free delivery, it's, it's cheap, you get it hot and you get it quick. That's a pretty good combination for a delivery business, uh, as long as you're delivering what people want. So that's a really, really nice hidden uh, economy of scale that doesn't always appear apparent. Also too, by the way, they're doing it with franchisees, which I'm not going to discuss in a whole lot of detail, but uh, largely you've got people who are incentivized to work on their behalf and thereby working on your behalf. Franchises have a, have a bad reputation, probably justifiably because there's some crappy ones out there. But if you do it well, uh, Macca's in the old days is, is the prime example. Domino's is, is the current example. But it's more just, and we talk about it semi-regularly, the power of incentives, right? Why do I like Macquarie? 
because people go to work there every day trying to make money for themselves and in doing so make money for the shareholders. That is a remarkable alignment of incentives. If you've got a Domino's franchisee who wants to make as much money for themselves as they can and in doing so, make money for the franchisor, which is Domino's themselves, then you're in a very, very, very good place. Um, the the Just quickly, the medium term outlook for stores is they're going to open a few hundred stores uh, probably per year for another five or so years here and around the world so equally um they're opening you know multiple stores a week it is, it is a really phenomenal or kitchens i should call them really uh, a really phenomenal story they won't all be incremental they will take some the one that opened near me my order now goes from from the closer one rather than one that's slightly further away i haven't increased my number of Domino's pizzas ordered uh, to make that happen so there is some there is a lot of cannibalization but net net across the network it should make uh for for a much better business uh, it entrenches them, makes them more defensive because, again, who's going to open a, a pizza delivery mob to try and compete with Domino's? You're going to be pretty gutsy if you try it. And by the way, for a very simple business, that's the thing about retail, right? Uh, retail is a very, 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 very simple business. There are bugger all barriers to entry. You pay rent to a landlord, you walk in, you put some dresses or toys or electronics in the front door, and you're done. You're a retailer. You're competing with every other retail doing the same thing. Super low barriers to entry. But if you do it well very very hard for your competitors to actually compete despite those low barriers right so excellence in execution is its own barrier to entry um domino's is doing it incredibly well we've seen crust go have massive amounts of trouble pizza hearts shrinking uh a couple of others have gone out of business in the last decade or so so this is mm. this is the story of of scale of efficiency of you know it's it's a very basic normal pizza right now they're not winning any awards for best tasting pizza but they know what they do and they do it really 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 well that's the Domino's summary, Andrew. What, what's, okay, uh, yeah, question? great summary. Um, so I actually know it reasonably well. Um, so I just want to add some points. Please, please uh, buy some if you would. To you. <laughs> First, firstly, Pizza um, is not shares. What, what's the what's the uh, competitive advantage here? Yeah. How let, let's say we both had a five hundred million dollars, and yep. we want to, and our goal was to disrupt Domino's. Yeah. Well, it's actually going to be a lot harder than 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 you think. That, mm-hmm. that brand is well known, bunch of people, um, yeah. you know, that make bunch of girls at a hen's night decide they want to order some pizza. Just top of mind, right? And they know that it's going to be there very quickly. Mm-hmm. So it's it's hard to sort of disrupt that. The scale advantage is a big one, though, because yeah. all of these pizzas are like they all come from a central factory, essentially, mm-hmm. with all the ingredients. So you can, when you're doing that at very large mm-hmm. scale, you've got big buying power. 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 Mm-hmm. So when I'm buying olives. You know, I can get olives much cheaper than you can at the supermarket because I'm buying 400 tons of it each year, so I get a better price. Um, And that's also, that's the key to Domino's. They will always be Mm -hmm. the cheapest. People will go, oh, yeah, but their pizzas aren't very good. Mm. They know that. Mm. They know that better than anyone else. That's not their, you're not going there for the gourmet experience. You're Mm. going there because you want it to be fast. Mm -hmm. You want to know, you want it to be consistent and you want it to be cheap. Correct. And they, and even as they ring out more economies of scale, that gets passed on to the consumer. That's mm-hmm. why your pizzas in inflation-adjusted terms haven't really gone up for oh. ages. I mean, inflation-adjusted um, terms, they're probably... I, I Honestly, they're cheaper, cheaper per dollar, cheaper. let alone after inflation. I'd, I'd be surprised as cheap as pizzas aren't half the price they were when I was a kid. I'd be yep. very surprised. And, and, and that, and that, is, that is exactly what they should be doing. There'd be temptation at corporate headquarters to say, actually, let's put the prices up a little yeah. bit. Yeah. But, it's, but it's the fact that they keep cutting it... They keep keep the margins so thin that may, means it's almost impossible for any anyone else to compete because to mm. get to the economies of sale where they can compete mm. means they're going to have to bleed cash for many, many, many years. So it's mm. very, very smart. Um, I also think it's a recession-proof business. Um, you, people eat out less when- Can we, say, when can we t- say resistant rather than proof? I'm allergic to absolutes. 
Uh, yeah, you're right. So, yeah. Any any business will suffer. Yeah. Or, you know, but yeah. some suffer. I don't a lot disagree more. with you. I just thought I just I, I when I was doing something proof, it's like oh, not proof. Yeah, not not recession <laughs> on, proof. But but like yeah. if times get really tough, people are going to pull back on eating out. Yeah, um, exactly. But yes. but but you and and there'll be less people who mm-hmm. there'll be some customers that don't get the weekly pizza anymore. Mm-hmm. But there'll be mm-hmm. other people who move down the spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I would argue it's a very recession proof business yeah. being being yeah. the cheapest. It's also very capital light too. Think mm-hmm. about opening up a restaurant. What do you do? You buy the, the pizza oven, a few computers, some mm-hmm. fridges. That's it. You know, it's, it's much. It's much. It's not as much. This is Subway's big. Yeah. I mean, Subway's a whole other. It's you know, <laughs> good John Oliver on it, but but one of the things that's interesting for them is that mm-hmm. their their capital equipment is very 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 light, and it, yeah. it's actually the same. I think I would argue for Domino's. Yeah. Um, so I get all of it, but here's my challenge to you. Here's please, my challenge to you. Please. So so it I, I answers the question to me: Is Domino's around in five or ten years, and mm-hmm. is it earning more money at that point in time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you there. Yep. It did get to 160 bucks yes. last year. Um, yep. And at that point, it was on a price earnings of seventy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and and I think that for me was the challenge. It was yeah. just sort of like, yeah, I get it. And this is yeah. the challenge for a lot of businesses. It was like, yeah, cool, I agree, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. really, really decent business. Yep. I'm not going to touch it. Way, 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 way too expensive. Fast forward through to today, mm-hmm. and very quickly, we are on a PE ratio of just under thirty. Yep. So it's come back a long way. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're still you're still paying a premium for it. Do you yep. think that that this is like, as you said at the start, a really good quality business at a fair price, or would you say it's a cheap price? I think it's a fair price, which can be cheap if things go their way. Right. Right. So I, it's not. It's it's, it's not. It, well, firstly, it's never traditionally cheap, right? If you're if you're a value hound who wants a PE of eight, then you're going to look at it and go, <laughs> "Call me when it's ten dollars a share," right? And that's completely fine. Which you'll never um, get there, right? So cash. So here's this is this is. I'm just pulling out of Comsec. So everyone can get this. Cash flow per share out of Comsec went from forty six cents in 2013 to four dollars thirty in 2021. So over ten years, ten x increase in cash flow. Not going to happen again because it's gone from very small to much bigger. Over the last four years. Cash flow is more than double from $2.12 a share to $4.31 per share. Mm. And so this is a business that is, uh, we talk about operating leverage, that's why when you mentioned it for Ava, I was really, I was really pleased because this is, this is a business that is just ringing out. Now, sales have doubled. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not just operating leverage, it's pure sales growth at the same time. Uh, but it's doing a, a remarkable job of delivering growth in, uh, delivering growth in sales, delivering growth in cash flow and growth in earnings, which have gone up not as much, but you know, again, operating earnings are one thing. Cash flow, cash is cash. Um, so I, I would I wouldn't be surprised, mate, if we look back and say that sixty two dollars was a very cheap price because thirty times earnings is thirty times probably trailing based on what you're looking at. I yep, assume, but whatever it is. Yep. Um, do I expect earnings to grow meaningfully? Yes, and so I would be not surprised at all if sixty two dollars is cheap for Domino's if we look back in five years' time. Mm-hmm. But it also may just be fair, and that that'd be completely fine as well. So again, to your point about you know I'm not, we're not buying 160 bucks, we're buying it if we if you buy it at 62 dollars. Um, I think this is one of those companies that unless there is something fundamentally broken, the, or it's topped out at growth. Now I mm-hmm. years ago bought a company called Coca Cola Amatil, no longer listed, thank God, because I can hide my mistakes. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't lose money actually then; I made a little, tiny bit of money. But I got all these great things. All all I got all the, the qualitative stuff right. I said this before. The quantitative thing I missed was it had t- tapped out growth-wise. It just had nowhere left to grow. So even the best business with no market left to tap, you know, Woolworths and Coles, the big four banks, where are they going to grow to? They already own the market, right? Like what's yeah. left? Domino's is not not is going to have that same problem at some point. 
So honestly, I think we're getting a risk, but I think the biggest risk for Domino's from a share return perspective, not a business return, but a share return perspective is at some point it simply says there's no more growth left. Now, I think that's a while away, by the way. But mm. if and when same store sales effectively flatten out to almost nothing, when it's open as many stores as it's going to be able to open, when it dominates the market, we're all having Domino's for pizza, for breakfast, lunch and tea, then we're probably going to say, okay, it's tapped out. And Woolworths at $5 was a great buy, $10 was a great buy, $20 was a great buy at $35, whatever it is now, less obvious because there's simply no market share gain left. They'll, they'll grow meaningfully and moderately for, for a while, um, but there's not enough growth left. I think Domino's actually has a lot of growth left, honestly. Some of the numbers we're seeing, by the way, are COVID helped. So it, it, that's part of the reason it went 160 was people got stupidly excited about, oh, wow, Domino's going to be great forever. COVID's going to go forever, which was always stupid. So when it goes back to, you know, 60, you go, well, guys, what, what, like, what do you expect? But mm. I do think the flip side is also true. I think I think it's actually I think it's too cheap. I think today's price will be in, is inexpensive. It's not cheap. Um, it's a it's a fair price, uh, fair to good probably. I wouldn't be at all surprised if the in the future we say it was good to great back at sixty two bucks. Yep. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna make that statement. I can just see that it was it is possible, <sighs> close to probable but possible um, that the growth between now and say twenty twenty seven will will more than justify today's price. What I love what you've done there, which is I think all investors should do just to make it more general, is that you've, you've predicated your concept of value on what needs to happen. And by doing so, you've actually outlined what would, what would represent a thesis break. Um, so, so the other, and, you, and you've, you've basically said this indirectly, but I'll, I'll say it more directly. Let's say we, we go into a future where it's just sort of like the, the sales growth is much lower than it has been historically mm-hmm. and it really flattens out. And that's not a disaster, right? Maybe they keep growing their revenues at 10% per year for the next 10 years. That's, mm-hmm. that's still mm-hmm. above system growth, right? That's, that's great. But the market goes, oh, but I was, I was prepared to pay 60 bucks a share because I was expecting sort of 15% kind of growth. Mm. So now yes, I'm not prepared yeah, to pay a yeah. P of 30. Now I'm prepared to pay a P of 20, which is still mm. an above average PE, by the way. <coughs> yeah. But yeah. a third of the share price disappears. So mm. it goes from 60 to $40 under that, just the market going, I'm not prepared to pay that multiple mm. anymore. And I'm not prepared to pay that multiple because, because the growth story is, is no longer there. So I love it. I love it. And I'm not saying, by the way, I'm not outlining that as the bear case, but it sort of shows you for a business that, or at least you and I are agreeing, is a pretty robust and well-run company that's likely to endure. From a shareholder investor point of view, it seems to me is that that's what you really want to be comfortable with because it's not a question of, well, this would be bad, obviously, but it's not a question of thinking, oh, the sales are going to halve next year and (laughs) and the rest of it. It's really the question here is just sort of like, Oh, it just it just grows at five or ten percent, and then sort of sort of hovers around that that mark for a while. That that's that's going to do your dough. Well, not do your dough, but you're going to you're going to lose probably yeah, yeah, yeah struggle exactly yeah. twenty thirty yeah. percent on yeah. that basis. Which yeah. some people t- it takes it a bit to wrap your head around. It's like, well, what? It's still a good business. It's still growing. It's like yes, but everything at a price, and that's um, that 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 would be my. I haven't done the work on it. I actually said, as I, I love the business as well, return on equity mm-hmm. for this company is outstanding. It's astonishing, uh, isn't it? Just, you know, Don Mage is just a, such a great yep. operator. Yep. Yep. I did own shares in a company called Dragon Tail, which did a lot of their tech, mm. by the way. You did, that's Got right. taken over. Yeah, I that's really right. loved it. And Domino's was an early adopter of that. So I love yeah, all the business. Yeah. So for me, it's just, and I haven't done the work to have a firm opinion on it, mm. but that's what I would be looking at as like, how confident am I of that growth? Yeah. What does the upside look like under that yeah. scenario? If I've gotten that wrong, what's mm-hmm. the downside look like? And, yeah. and yeah, weigh that up on a balance of probabilities, and that that would that would be the basis of my decision. 
Love it, mate. And I think this is, you know, this is, I didn't even mention management. I should have done my, it does a spectacular job running the business. Fantastic. Uh, One of the best CEOs on the ASX. I think, I think so, I'll put mate. it out there. You know, I think, I think so. I think, I think and, and the results speak for themselves. That, that's kind yeah. of, you know, this is, as I said, this is not a, retailers, retailers is very simple if you had to illustrate it, right? But yeah. to do it really well and do it better than your competitors because it's so easy, it really requires some really strong execution. And if you get that wrong, uh, Pizza Hut, Pizza Hut had, you know, we talk about distilling defeat from the jaws of victory. Pizza Hut was the dominant pizza player by miles. Yep. To to let yourself get run down and taken over by Domino's uh, is both a, a a decent failure at Pizza Hut, I don't mind saying, but also a remarkable credit to Domino. When you've got to take on, imagine imagine if you opened a hamburger restaurant now, and in twenty five years you were bigger than Macca's, and Macca's was tiny. That's yeah. what, I mean, Pizza Hut was never quite as dominant as Macca's. Macca's had this, you know, cultural thing. But realistically, in terms of category for category or Subway, imagine you and I starting a, you know, mm. a, a foot-long mm. sandwich restaurant tomorrow and being bigger than, than Subway in 25 years. That's effectively, I mean, Domino's didn't get started from nothing. There was a US franchise, but you get the idea. Um, to, to overhaul Pizza Hut is remarkable. You know what, you know what I, if I was to put it down to one feature, yeah, it's like when, when we started having apps on our phones, yeah. Pizza Hut was awful. It was just- <laughs> yeah, right, there you go. Awful. Yeah, it was a yeah. bad experience, yeah. and like a lot of you know, kids, right? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. ordering pizzas and stuff like they just. It's like the, the, I can. I, it was a seamless experience. I can yep. watch the guy coming yep. on. You know, it did, isn't it? I love that. And it comes really quickly every <laughs> yes, time, yeah, and yes. it didn't take long for that. Yep. That I would put that down as the key thing as to why Pizza go. Hut doesn't exist today. Mm-hmm. Because, and this is what you see. This is the the, the risk of incumbency mm. is you get yes, so comfortable yes. in your dominance. Yes. You know, it's oh. like, oh, oh, the domino, good luck to you. You know, yeah. bless your yeah. little cotton socks. You know, we're 10 times bigger. What yeah. you know, pose any threat to us? Yeah. They, didn't, they didn't prosecute their scale advantages to make sure that the price was so low that it would make it really hard for, for dominoes. They didn't make any investment into this new and obviously fast-growing mm. things such mm. as mobile phones, apps, the internet. You just, you just didn't do it. Mm. And, and, and what those, those two mistakes meant that the whole business in Australia pretty much died. It's remarkable, mate. And, and someone at Pizza Hut said at some point, we got to watch out for Dominoes. And we're like, no, we'll be fine. How can they possibly be? How, how big are we? We're, we're, we're Pizza Hut. Oh, they're we're apps really US- good. Yeah, we've got an app. Yeah. yeah. We're owned by a US business called Young Brands. We're the, biggest, we're the biggest pizza business in the world. How is it possible Dominoes are going to take? Oops. There yep. it goes. Yeah. In, it's, too in, late. In, in, yes. it's too late. Um, it's too so late. Yes. Uh, look, there's a, there's a great saying, the paranoid survive. Um, it's, a, it's a really, <laughs> I think it's a, uh, an important one for businesses um, to, to remember, right? You've got to assume everyone's going to come and kill you. You've got to be always fighting, always worried about that stuff because Pizza Hut yep. completely messed that up. Yep. Mate, um, we're almost done. Um, I didn't do risks, so I should very quickly, if we haven't done that enough justice, um, let me let me do a quick uh, tick mm-hmm. and flick bullet list. Good call. First thing is just simply price. You've already talked about that. That's really easy. Second, I've already mentioned, is the ability to continue to grow um, at, at either a same store level or just simply number of units level, number of stores. Um, in terms of the investment thesis playing out, if they can't keep growing, 30 times earnings ends up being very, very expensive, not, not only fair. So there's that. Um, at a business level, we've just talked about the Pizza Hut analogy. Getting caught flat-footed, I don't think it's likely because I, I wouldn't buy the shares. I think Domay is a very good CEO, as you said, one of the best on the ASX. But uh, the next thing, whether it's the next food, the next technology, the next disruptive innovation of whatever that is, and we probably don't know what it is. I don't know if in two years before the, the app, people said, oh, you know what's going to tell what Pizza should be careful of? Being disrupted by someone who's better at an app. No, no one's thinking that. So I'm just going to mm-hmm. say disruption more broadly or competition more broadly, being careful to see whether there is deterioration i'm talking long-term deterioration there'll be falls in sales 
I think we're almost through that from the COVID period, from the, almost when we cycle on this financial year probably. So the next set of results from Domino's will be ordinary because year on year, people have gone back to cafes and restaurants and not ordered as much Domino's at home. That was always likely, so don't worry about that. Uh, but moving forward, if they can't re- arrest that and turn it around, then that's an issue, just simply being relevant to people. Um, product costs, uh, inflation is an issue in terms of both protecting margins, but also the actual price of the product. So a lot of what they've been successful in is keeping the, the per pizza, the per order price down, so that it seems an attractive thing to buy for dinner. Uh, if and when that price goes up too much, even people's perceived value of pizza. Do you pay $5? Yeah, do you pay 10? Maybe do you pay 15? Not sure, do you pay 20? Probably not. Okay, so at some point, if our expectations don't keep up with inflation, in other words, if prices get go up faster than we think value increases, that could be an issue for Domino's overall business. Management transition is a huge one. Uh, Don May, the CEO, as we've talked about a couple of times already, great CEO. Uh, who who follows him? How well do they do? Not sure. Open question. Uh, and also, too, frankly, uh, he, he may live at a good time, so just being mindful of that. Um, just just being being doubly careful to make sure the business is still in really good hands. If and when, hopefully, hopefully, if, but almost certainly when he steps aside, um, he's not immortal, best I can tell. So uh, so that'll be something we should watch out for as well. They're the major ones, mate. Any others from you that you can think of? <laughs> Pardon me. No, I think you've I think you've got them. And the other thing I would I'd finally say with all of this is, mm. and it's just more underscoring the approach. We're very different styles, but generally the same approach. Mm. And that is is that all of these investment, both of these investment theses have been couched in the view of where is this business years down yeah. the track. Yeah, nice. and that's really, really, really important to stress mm-hmm. because you know anything can sort of happen in in the meantime. Mm-hmm. And if, if nothing has changed, let's say Domino's goes from 60 to 30 tomorrow, mm-hmm. but that absolutely nothing changes, mm-hmm. well, just logically, right, it's just become a far better investment. So that would, if it was me, it was like, well, I'm not definitely not selling. In fact, maybe I'll even buy more. And if I haven't bought, maybe I'd be far more inclined to buy. Again, the key thing here, nothing has changed. But just bear that in mind because all of the great investments kind of do that, right? <laughs> like, I think this is going to be really great in 2027. It's like, okay. <laughs> and then, you know, three months later, you're like, oh, you're looking at a 30% loss. It's normal. It's totally normal. Don't let the market mm. inform mm. you. It's there to serve you. Mm. And um, yeah, keep, keep your eye, on, keep your eye on, on the prize, which is the actual business, not the share price. Like it, mate. And that's probably a wonderful place to finish. So look, as you say, we haven't done this to talk about individual companies per se. We've done exactly that, but by way of illustration, not by way of pitching them. Um, these are not, it's not my largest holding. I'm not sure if it's Andrew's or not. doesn't matter. No. Um, I, I don't care if you buy it or not. I think it's worth buying. I've recommended it. Uh, but again, in the context of a very well-diversified portfolio, because I'll be wrong lots of times, as well, Andrew. And that's actually a feature, not a bug. Um, so keep keep that in mind. But yeah, hopefully it's, hopefully it's given you a sense of talking through a company, things we look for, things we identify as risks, ways we identify and value opportunities. Andrew's talked a lot about um, how to find value in some of those smaller companies, the, the combination of future prospects and, and past performance. We've talked about management, talked about brand, we've talked about economies of scale in both cases. Uh, so hopefully you've taken a whole lot of good nuggets of wisdom out of that one because we've uh, had fun bringing it to you. If you like it, let us know. If you don't like it, tell us that too. If you have questions, as I said at the very beginning about these companies, let us know that. Just uh, hit us up on all the socials. You know what they are. I won't repeat them. Until next time, full on. Cheers. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services licence 400691. Listener.